1982, Alan Moore, Gary Leach, and Alan Davis revived a long-dormant superhero, Marvel Man, later known as Miracle Man, in the pages of Warrior Magazine. Over the course of the next six years, they crafted a new kind of superhero comic, a superhero comic where the influence of new superpowered beings did not slot comfortably into a recognizable world, but instead changed the world to something brand new. But is Marvel Man a critique of the simple fantasies of pulpy superhero stories, an updating of the genre for a more mature audience, or simply the final word on the entire endeavor? Welcome to Extra Issues. Welcome to Extra Issues, the comic book reading club podcast where we choose a theme and read through a selection of comics that explore that theme. Our current theme is superhero subversions, and this month we are discussing Miracle Man. I'm young Charlotte, and I died in a nuclear explosion <laughs> back in 1963. Today, I'm joined by the two other members of the MMY family. First, we've got a podcaster who turns into a superhero every time he says the name Rick Jones backwards. It's Zach Man. How's it going, Zach? <laughs> That's exactly the same joke I had prepared. <laughs> Oh, of course. For Dave. <laughs> but uh, I was going to say, he uh, he just turns into a podcaster. <laughs> and, oh, uh, that's good. And that's that good. Uh, his wife laughs at him just as much as Miracle Man's wife <laughs> laughs at uh, him for the entire that last time. part. That last part is for sure true. For <laughs> hey, sure true. Quiet. Listen, You're not we were, introduced We yet. were watching My Cousin <laughs> Vinny for the first time last night, and uh, or a couple nights ago. And uh, and at the end of it, she goes, so did you like it? And I start ranking it, and I'm like, ah, I don't think I liked it as much as White Man Can Jump. And she just looks at me dead in the eye, and she goes, Dave, you're not podcasting right now. You don't have to rank everything. <laughs> that is Killed that me. is a wild. <laughs> Killed me to my core. That's a wild thing to talk about. I, I've been seeing your rankings and saying White Men Can Jump <laughs> and My Cousin Vinny being like, where did these two stack up to one another? And, well, and I'm not so here to talk I, cinema, though. I'm as not you here might to have talk heard, cinema, please. As you might have heard, we also have on the other side our very own family sidekick turned supervillain with the best eyebrows around. It's Kid Dave. Welcome, Dave. <laughs> Kid Dave. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I've been longing to do a Miracle Man reread for the last couple years, honestly. Yeah. Um, ever since Marvel, like, not only acquired the rights, but seemingly moved past the just tremendous and incomprehensible legal issues that have saddled Marvel yep. Man slash Miracle Man. Um, I've been really curious to go back and be like, all right, I should check this out again because there's new Miracle Man comics. He's maybe entering the Marvel Universe, right? We can we can get to all that stuff. But that made it fascinating to me, and I'm happy to be here to talk about it with both of you. Now, had had both of you uh, read any of this before, or is it whoa, totally whoa, new? whoa? What, what do you, what do you, <laughs> you setting the agenda here? Let me let me. Just, just asking a friendly question, I thought. <laughs> All right, let me start out by saying, has any of us here read this before? So, Dave, uh, I didn't read this before. <laughs> no, I, it, it was the first time I, yeah, I read same, it. I same had, thing. I think my f- the first comic I've seen with Miracle Man, quote-unquote, in it was like Timeless or something like that two years ago from Marvel when they teased... That was the uh, first time. Yeah, yeah Marvel Man came... Uh, Miracle Man two years ago? That was like four months ago, right? 
I feel like I just read that. Comic. Well, there was a there was a second Timeless. There's, yeah, it's there like was an annual two now. of it. Oh, okay. Because um, I was but, like, I just read Timeless number one, and it was like November. No, no, you really made one. me worry like, that like my life is just slipping, <laughs> slipping away. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. That, no, no, that was two years ago. Same for me. I think I knew that it was like Alan Moore had written this run of a, of an old hero, and that was all I knew. I've never read any Marvel man. Um. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> just before we get started, Charlotte, do you want to know which my character introduction character my uh, intro for you was going to be uh, a podcaster? Oh, I'm. <laughs> that, I don't know if I want to know, but let's hear it. That, uh, I was going to say something about how we were like so pleased to have you as a co-host, uh, despite the requirement that you uh, record the podcast in a vat of nutritional broth. <laughs> wait i just read the comic and i don't even remember what that's, that's a deep cut that's a real deep cut. yeah but as soon as i read it i was like oh that's my intro for charlotte it's the the giant um like cosmic fish the perfectly evolved being uh has Ooh, to live in right. A big... <laughs> right 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 that, that's like beyond gender <laughs> right like yeah, has their yeah, own yeah. pronouns which is very interesting we can talk about that um but also that they have to sit in a vat of nutritional broth <laughs> Um, yes, I am an I'm amorphous genderless blob. That's me. <laughs> That's not what I meant. I just meant the broth part <laughs> and know, the I and the fish part. Um, yep. So That's me. thank you for listening to Extra Issues. Uh, we're wrapping up our superhero subversions theme here, and we've got one more episode coming next month where we uh, we have our listener voted um, comic. It's going to be Sleeper by Ed Brubaker. Is that also Sean Phillips? What did that, that I... what did that beat out? I'm curious. Oh in the voting. Uh, um, I... Irredeemable black. Uh-huh. What well what, what was like second place? I think it was black, actually. Might have been black, yeah. Black, the black mask comic? Yeah. By exactly. Kwanzaa? Yeah. Yeah. Um Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. No, I was just curious like what kind of what kind of names it beat out. Yep. Um I think also we, oh no, top ten was up there too. Another Alan Moore. If we had done three Alan Moores, it would have been fun, but also Kind of, um, also a lot of Alan Moore. <laughs> then I mean, it's like, why didn't you just do an Alan Moore? Theme? I mean, at some point, we just <laughs> well, because it's like five that. hours of podcast. God. I was thinking the yeah, other yeah. day uh, of doing an Alan Moore theme. We could just do his America's Best Comics stuff, and there's so much good stuff there, like Top Ten and Prometheus and Tom I would Strong. Like that stuff's great. Enthusiastically dive into Tom Strong. Yeah, I've Tom never Strong's done the fun. full thing. Yeah. Okay. Any... I have the full list of the of the. I have the full list of the choices. People might be interested. Yeah. Zach. Oh, please. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go, go ahead. <laughs> number one. So number one was Sleeper with thirty five percent of the votes. Number two was Irredeemable actually mm, with twenty six percent. Number three was Black with sixteen percent. And four was Welcome to Tranquility with fourteen percent. Number five was Top Ten with nine percent. And number six with no votes was Martial Law. Sorry, martial martial law. law. Yep. Martial law. What is that? I don't even remember. Oh, that's, I don't know. yeah. No, I, I read. That's a, historically <laughs> very important. A, uh, yes. Uh, I think it's Kevin O'Neill, right? Yep. With um, Pat Mills. One of one of our uh, yeah, listeners it. suggested it at the last minute, and I read a few, and I was like, oh, this is interesting enough to include, but I didn't think it would win. Um, shout out to Cody. It so yeah, sure so didn't. we're gonna be doing Sleeper at Brewbaker. Um, it's. T- two t- seasons two seasons of 12 issues and then there's a final tie-in issue to a, a line-wide crossover that i think we're gonna read but if you start to read it and you're like wow this has nothing to do with sleeper or i can't <laughs> parse this then don't worry about it but um i've been assured sleeper stands on its own uh, and you don't have to like be familiar with the Wildstorm universe but it's going to be the first 24 issues which is divided into volume 1 1 through 12 volume 2 1 through 12 
So that will be next month. No, I think Sleeper is my is my least favorite Brubaker and Phillips work. Yeah. So if you need someone to come on and slam, slam <laughs> the highly praised Brubaker and Phillips, yeah. Yeah, yeah. who I love on everything else, uh, I will happily send you an email. They're, they're I'll also send you like, some nasty comments. Uh, some young nasty man <laughs> comments, if you will. Right. They're also like a, a duo, um, a creative team that we could just cover. Like, And then we get this one out of the way. <laughs> then we only have like all bangers. Do you like Fatal, Dave? Uh, I like Fatal I, I know a lot. That, mm-hmm. that one's kind of mixed mm-hmm. for some people. But Anyway, so... I gonna... didn't like the ending, but I loved it up until okay. that point. Uh, as, uh, after we finish that... Moving into the next months, we're going to be the next three months. We're going to be covering um, the works of Molly Knox Ostertag. So kind of a big shift here. Uh, Pretty excited about that. We're going to be dividing that into three episodes. Uh, The first one is going to be everything that she did for her online work. So we've got strong female protagonist, Darkest Night, how the best hunter in the village met her death, her Lord of the Rings fan comics and her hourly comics. Uh, And I have links to all those. This is a fascinating episode. Yeah, some of those are really like just kind of like hourly comics is very much um just kind of like a personal side project that she threw out totally unpublished strong female protagonists um she just did the art it's written by brandon lee mulligan who's famous now for doing the dimension 20 podcast or dimension 20 show anyway um i've got links to all those if you uh if you back us on patreon and i'll get to that later um it's a dollar a month and we have everything on the spreadsheet and links to all that the second episode is going to be the witch boy trilogy so her three graphic novels of witch boy and then the third episode will be girl from the sea shattered sea and the dungeons and dragons dungeon club volume one so that's going to be the entirety of her work which is like pretty fun i think to just cover everything that she's done um so i think i think that'll be uh nice and a nice like light change of pace uh i think compared to superhero so versions from what i've read she's pretty um you know it's pretty light and breezy a lot of ya influence there so um like i said earlier if you want to back us on patreon it's patreon.com slash my marvelous year for a dollar a month you get access to the spreadsheet which we have all the issues for this podcast and for my ultimate year and my marvelous year five dollars a month you can join our slack comic book club which is great, especially for extra issues. Like, there's a lot of fun conversation around the comics that we're reading for there. We have a special channel just for that. Um, and a couple other bonuses over there. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, anything else before we jump into the comics? Nope. No, are we done? Okay. Is that it? Yeah, we're good. <laughs> yep. yeah. See, you, see you next month. Yeah, Miracle, I had a really nice time. Miracle Man, good. <laughs> uh, talk to you later. <laughs> um, so, Miracle Man. Uh, I, God, I, I'm going to say Mr. Miracle at some point, just to throw it out there. Uh, I've been accidentally saying Mr. Miracle all week when I've been talking about this comic to my wife. Um, it is very confusing that it is both Marvel Man and Miracle Man because of some legal... I, th- I think Marvel just sued them and said Marvel Man sounds exactly like one of our characters. They actually didn't. They didn't? Okay. Do, do you do you know exactly. the history of this? Because I, I read it and then it just kind of <laughs> got filtered out of my brain. So here, here's what I want to say about it, Zach. Okay. It is the most, literally the most fascinating legal history, I think, of anything in comics. I tweeted this, but, like, if you start reading the history of Marvel Man, Miracle Man, you will accidentally consume the entire history of American and British comics. Oh, books. sure, right. Like it, it, <laughs> it, it starts with it goes Captain, to Superman. It starts with Superman to Captain Marvel to uh-huh. Marvel Man, the ripoff of Captain Marvel, and then eventually... It just covers... Yeah absolutely everything like it, it's truly astonishing the way it moves yeah like you just said like from superman to captain marvel up into the 90s to todd mcfarlane and neil gaiman 
to present day Marvel Comics. Like it is, it is fascinating. Listen, if you want to read all this, I think I would like to talk with both of you about the comics <laughs> and not the legal history of it. There is a thing if you just search for Poison Chalice. And I've got the links. I'll include this in my email newsletter. Maybe, I don't know, Zach, if you guys want to include this we'll in the issue show notes or whatever. We'll um, they they actually published this on the beat at one point. And I cannot pronounce the author's name, but they're like an Alan Moore scholar. And just absolutely fantastic work. It's called Poison Chalice. It goes through the whole flipping shebang. And it is, if you love comics history and legal drama, like, check this puppy out. Okay? Um, but, to your point, Zach, why is it not Marvel Man? And it switched to Miracle Man. They were just scared <laughs> yeah sure. Marvel comics yeah. they they threatened to sue i don't think they actually sued um because when it when it comes back in the 80s we can talk about the the comeback and all that um they get about halfway through it starts getting some attention and then i think they just got kind of fearful hmm. that marvel would sue or marvel threat jim shooter threatened to sue or whatever and uh and then they were like fine we'll just call him miracle man so that that's what happens in the 80s yeah and then eventually marvel actually just buys the rights to the character Gives a big payout to make Anglo. Anglo? Um, I like that Alan Moore is, like, basically apathetic about the whole thing. Except for, like, that he's happy that Mick got paid for creating Marvel Man. Um, otherwise, he doesn't really want anything to do with this anymore, as we've said before. All of his work here, as republished by Marvel Comics now, just credits the original writer instead of Alan Moore. He doesn't want his name attached to it anymore. Which is so wild. Oh, so, There's a Miracle Man omnibus awesome. that I have sitting in front of me. Chuck Austin credited, not Alan Moore. <laughs> it's <laughs> right? extremely like it funny. Is, it is preposterous, but it's what Moore wanted. And uh, I, and you know what? Him sticking to his guns like that is pretty cool. <laughs> like incredible, incredible ability to stick to his guns. Oh Absolutely. yeah, yeah. All right. So, um, Miracle Man started as a Marvel Man started as a Captain Marvel ripoff while Captain Marvel was in legal uh, limbo with superman in dc like is it fawcett comics is marvel captain marvel yeah right yeah Yeah. um they were the british like ripoff of captain marvel and it's i mean i didn't know this moving in and as i was reading this comic i was like that's just captain marvel what do you mean you can't just say a word and switch that's a kid just switching a word you have a whole family here (laughs) like as someone who didn't know that uh the dawning realization that this is just a one-to-one ripoff of captain marvel whole family of people who say uh like a power word and switch place with a, a super powered version of themselves. Um, that is the original. The funniest part of that comic. to me, Zach, yeah. is I didn't realize the publication. So it goes for Captain Marvel number 24, published in the UK. Mm-hmm. And then the, like, the next week or the next month, Fawcett closes shop because DC has been harassing In like 1962. Like plagiarizing yeah. Superman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, this is 54. Um and uh and and the next month they just published Marvel Man number twenty five. Oh, like they just oh, kept oh, the numbering going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how <laughs> that's how much of a ripoff it is. They literally are just like Mick Angla, can you just change the names? Those and we're not even gonna relaunch this as like a new book. Those early like days Marvel twenty four, Marvel Man twenty five. They're like those copyright infringements that are so blase. I've been watching a ton of old Looney Tunes from like the thirties, which is oh. sickening. Um but uh, it, it's pretty fun. <laughs> Why? <laughs> What's happening? Just into Looney Tunes. Why are you doing I'm that? Kind of like Looney Tunes. Uh, they're all just the history of it. Yeah, okay. and they're all on YouTube, yeah. and it, it's fun. Um, but like uh, early days, they just have these Looney Tunes cartoons, and Mickey Mouse shows up, and it's just like that's just Mickey. Mouse. What are you doing? That's exactly Mickey Mouse. Uh, <laughs> and like Walt Disney existed at that point. He was drawing Mickey Mouse comic or cartoons, um, but just zero fear of reprisals. It's it's really funny. Um, so then this comic by Mick Anglo, um, 
goes throughout the 60s, the 50s, and the 60s ends in the early 60s uh, when the comic, the, the publisher goes out of business. And then Warrior Comics, or Warrior Magazine, which was a monthly black and white serialized um, publication in Britain in the uh, early 80s, kind of, kind of in the vein of 2000 AD, which had started like five years previously, um, starts publishing this right away. And I, uh, they start publishing small serial black and white Marvel Man comics, like nine pages per issue. I just want to <laughs> ask before we get any farther. So Dave, you read this through the Omnibus, right? You had like the new revamp. originally. Okay. Originally, I read it in the black and white. Okay, all right. So that, that's what I did too. I, I read like pirated versions of Warrior magazine, like original scans of it. Um, and Charlotte, you read the like because that that was the only way you could find it. Yeah, basically, sure. Until Marvel started this this relaunch thing. Sorry. No, no, it's fine. It, I just wanted to point it out how cool it is to be like checking out Warrior magazine. It made me really like get interested in all these old <laughs> yeah. black and white because like can you imagine picking this up every month? Like the stories and it looks so cool, but just Alan Moore alone yeah. at the time is serialized doing Marvel Man every month, a few pages of like 10 pages of Marvel Man and like 10 pages of V for Vendetta just going and Dave, I don't want look, I know your history with this comic and I don't want any uh screeds against V for Vendetta. It's a it's a great comic. Okay, so just I'm keep not it, here. Keep it I'm not here to, as a guest mm-hmm. in your home yep. <laughs> to tell the listeners that the movie's better than the comic. I'm not here to say that out <laughs> it's loud. It's a great. Okay. Uh, I I actually I kind of wanted to like draw that out of you because it's one of the it's one of the only <laughs> things that uh, people get mad as mad at you about as they get mad at me for everything I say. So uh, People consistently get madder at me about that than saying dogs are overrated, which I am absolutely <laughs> astonished by. <laughs> yeah. It's a great comic. Um, anyway, so, like, it, it's very cool reading Warrior Magazine. I actually, like, I got really behind in my reading of Marvel Man because I got so sucked into being like, wow, wow, look, check out these, like, early British publications. I started reading, like, 2000 mm. AD from the beginning. <laughs> so I read, like, five mm. issues of that, which is, like, why I fell behind oh, yeah. in my reading of Marvel Man. Uh, anyway, so uh, this is starts out with Mickey Mickey Moran. He's uh, that is Marvel Man, but he is in the early '80s in like Thatcher's UK. Uh, have he's down and out reporter, can't find work, and completely forgets that he is Marvel Man. <laughs> There's some pretty ludicrous circumstances of God. What happened? Does he get knocked on the head, or does he see the word like he's at an atomic power plant when a terrorist? group attacks how does he see the word backwards is it in the mirror <laughs> is there a mirror that like shows the word atomic backwards he he's like haunted by dreams of like flying i think that's actually what the original thing is called the dream of flying um and he sees the word atomic backwards and it triggers him to say this word and what is atomic backwards komodo 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 uh he says that and it transforms Oops, him. sorry just just blow out my mic are you both still there i just transformed real quick <laughs> sorry about that um it's uh yeah it transforms him into marvel man and he remembers this past and the way that alan moore frames it is basically like what if a real life human with you know uh pretty true to life anxieties and problems and you know the the language is very grounded um in the way that they talk about superhero comics is very realistic the way that normal people would uh what if they had a history and a past as a like silver and golden age superhero and, and I, did, have you read that much of the original marvel man like the the <clears throat> mick anglo stuff have either of you just read much? The, 
I mean, they kick it off with the the prologue here mm-hmm. is you know eight pages of an original McAnglo fifties Marvel Man story, yeah. and those are with the only modified dialogue. Yeah, modified. They modified. Modify, yes, they did. Yeah. Uh, they did rescript it. You're right. Um, that's all I've ever read of, of yeah, Marvel same. Man, and I feel fine about that. <laughs> yeah, I've I read mean, like I've read some Golden read Age, Captain some Marvel. Captain Marvel, or any other fifties comic, like. You don't need to have read the original Marvel Man comics. I mm-hmm. think. Oh, kept, uh, yeah, Marvel Man comics. Like, just having a general idea of what that era of comics and superhero comics was like. That's enough to to have an idea of uh, of what his backstory is. Like, it's not that. Uh, no, it's not original. Yeah. I guess it, it's not. Totally. And then the <clears throat> I went and read like two actual issues of the uh, the original run of that, and it's it's pretty. You know, no offense to Mick Anglo, it's pretty uninspired stuff. <laughs> I mean, it's literally. Just inspired by Captain Marvel, literally, literally just a ripoff. But then otherwise, like I mean, it's a ripoff. We can say it. Yeah. Like, it's, but otherwise, it's, it's also ripoff, just not yeah. that like not that exciting. Like a lot of Golden Age comics. Um, but even compared to like Golden Age Superman or Batman, it feels a little slight. Um, which I think is an interesting choice for more to work off something that I'm assuming was not that well known, right? Like it ran for what, like twenty something issues. H- how many issues did this run for? Uh. Well, Marvel Man runs from fifty four to sixty three. Yeah, okay. So for like when nine years, basically yeah. it stops being being profitable because of some UK laws that change. Yeah. Um, and then it's twenty years after that that Des Skin over at, at Warrior picks it up and tries to run it again. So I mean, you've had a minute, <laughs> like like the. But he's not available. like he's not revamping Superman, uh, you know, or a, like a hero that was particularly well maybe in britain he was right like that's, well that's, that's the, the thing context i don't know like how would everyone have read this comic at the time and gone like oh i know marvel man like i read that when i was a kid everyone knows marvel man like uh it's definitely bigger in britain right sure. it's a, right. It's a yeah. straight up british yeah. hero they were only republished in the uk um i mean alan moore talks about having read these when he was a kid right mm, in the yeah. in the 60s that they'd have been on spinner racks and that sort of thing so maybe yeah maybe a little more awareness of it but i i think the fascinating thing about it is you know when you're talking superhero subversions like this is a thing that alan moore kind of makes his name on in a lot of ways and and does better than just about anyone which is you said it's not revamping that big a name except it is because he's just doing captain marvel right like he's sure, doing yeah He's doing a, okay, basically I have a Captain Marvel slash a little Superman story to tell, but I get to call it Marvel Man, you know? And that's what he gets with Watchmen, where he's like, okay, I get the Charleston characters, but I get to call them Watchmen. And then in the 90s with Supreme, which is just straight up Superman analog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Alan Moore is very flipping good at that, at basically saying, all right, if we if we file off the the copyright, essentially, what can we do with this? Um, and that's what Marvel Man becomes, and I think that's what makes it so influential and so interesting. I think, like he, because we the the overall thing of the show is superhero versions, and Alan Moore, like we said, his superheroes are almost always superhero versions. For like the only exception I can think of is Captain Britain, um, which like is actually an interesting comparison with the uh, with the Marvel Man in some aspects. Also, yeah. Also, the uh, I think the only other more Davis. Uh, collaboration, if I'm not mistaken, um, but yeah, he his thing is superheroes in the real world, but in a, like very specific way of superheroes as like even when they're real, they're still fictional. Like they don't feel real. There's a very tonal clash in superheroes' aesthetics and like just real people in his work, um, and like the comparison with Watchmen is 
and will be unavoidable for the entirety of this uh, podcast. Like this, it was oh, the first yeah, episode, course. and like they're, it's they're in conversation. Yeah, obvious comparison. What I think is very interesting in in contrast to Watchmen here is like in Watchmen, everyone knows that there are characters running around in colorful suits and calling themselves superheroes, even if they don't have powers and they're just like normal people. In the in the context of the Miracle Man universe, like there aren't superheroes. Like he's a guy who remembers being a superhero in a world where that's just not a thing. Like there's not even just vigilantes going around with with green suits. Like that's that's not a thing. I think that's that's an interesting. It's interesting in the way it his existence clashes even more with the rest of the world. Like, we know there are aliens and stuff, but like they come later on. It's it's interesting to me how much just the existence of American Man in that universe clashes with how that universe works even more than what than Watchmen in some ways. Oh well, I think um, yeah, that's uh, I, I think that's that, the that was core way to start off the, the comic. Yeah, I think that's the core like subversion that he's doing yeah. here. I think he's saying, "What if the Fantastic Four show up? You couldn't just have the Fantastic Four show up and Galactus show up and all this happen, and then the next issue the world's back to normal." Right, like <clears throat> yeah. you have these big flexings and influence of power on the world, and then you know, like the world is changed by superheroes, but not. It's still recognizably Earth for you know your day to day person. You know, besides the once in a while Magneto goes crazy and like floods New York or Doctor Doom does whatever, you know, and then things reset back to normal. Like this is the world. This is the introduction of the atomic bomb to the world. Right, like you can't just say now humans have the atomic bomb and the world is back to basically what it was before like it changes things this is new power introduced in the world and that new power is going to introduce new dynamics into into the world and and it's a changing power right like as, as we read through this comic like that power grows and it multiplies and it spreads out to more people but it irrevocably like alters the landscape of the the course of history and i think that's like that's the real subversion here uh and i think it's actually really like known as the first big one that's something i don't think i had the context of for this originally but i was reading of like before this like comics superhero comics weren't really doing this they weren't really like playing with the formula and changing you know just the like that idea of like the status quo of earth <laughs> and how we relate to superheroes does not like alter in marvel and dc um all that much um so like i i, I think that context is is the most interesting piece yeah. to me on yeah, the yeah, read. For sure. Yeah. Is the historical when it happened. You know, so this starts in 1982. And one of my biggest questions rereading it was like, okay, but like who had kind of done this? Right? Or like what's what's more kind of drawing from, you know, like I know this is influential and it's Alan Flip and Moore, but it's like, you know, kind of what are the seeds? And one of the fascinating things when you dig into it is like, at least in terms of what's documented, there's not a heck of a lot yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> before this especially just in comics that yeah. that does what Moore and leach and davis and total bun and the bunch wind up doing um it is incredibly influential on superhero comics to come in the 90s but especially the 2000s like like reading this is like oh that's infinite crisis sure or like yeah, oh yeah. there's the career yeah. of jeff john yeah, yeah. you know it's like all these moments modern. like yeah like you said it feels like it's coming from the early 2000s like 
Miller's yeah. Ultimate, stuff like that, like that kind of new superhero stories. I feel like, yeah, it's not even early for the 80, for the 90s. It's early for the 2000s, and that's like very impressive, especially the like the last arc and the big destruction of London and everything, and like sticking with that status quo. That's like that's unheard of for for that time in in superhero comics. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mm-hmm. think this is Absolutely. why he like you know he cuts his teeth on this, and then he becomes the superhero deconstruction guy, uh, the the yeah. grinning gritty superhero guy. Which I do want to point out, Supreme is not that. Supreme is the opposite <laughs> of that. I think he intentionally takes he takes a um, like a Rob Liefeld creation, who is like, what if Superman was like a total badass uh, ass kicker, and then he's like, no, why don't we make him like a pulpy, fun throwback, you know, and give him like let's make this like a comic for you know to, that heightens the imagination and you know like he's he's taking away that um that serious gritty grittiness from it um and doing the opposite with that comic which well and i think that's one thing that's been very true of more that people tend to forget or just not realize you know because of the the deconstruction label you know mm-hmm. and the way watchman gets yeah. that tag and miracle man you know in in a lot of ways it's true um one thing you can kind of miss is like yeah but to do that, you know, this guy has to acknowledge and reference his fandom of Marvel Man at the age of 11. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah, you yeah, can't yeah. have one without the other without the sort of understanding and the deep knowledge of, like, how those comics function. And affection. And playing right, in those spaces. And affection, yes, sure. importantly. Yeah. Yes. I, so I think that that's kind of, like, my first big question here is, like, <clears throat> I think I walked in thinking like, well, this will be like a critique of superheroes. And by the end, I was like, I don't know. I don't know if this is like as much a critique of superheroes or even I, I think it maybe is a light critique of superheroes and superhero comic readers. <laughs> and maybe, you know, maybe this is just like 2023 Alan Moore leaking into it. And, you know, his like <clears throat> now that he's can I read you a quote for more that literally answers this from the GQ interview he did. Please. Most yeah. recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, when I did things like Marvel Man and Watchmen... Oh, wait, hang on. Let me try again. When I did things like Marvel Man and Watchmen, they were critiques of the superhero genre. They were trying to show that any attempt to realize these figures in any kind of realistic context will always be grotesque and nightmarish. <laughs> <laughs> He's So I, I can see that, but at the same time, at the same time, he is just writing a fun superhero comic. So sometimes it's hard to yeah. think... Like, oh, yeah, you're just tearing this apart. Like, The Boys, right? We just read The Boys. The Boys, it's easy to look at that and say, Garth Ennis hates superhero comics, and he's just tearing them down here. And he doesn't actually have that much affection for them, right? It doesn't, like, you don't feel the, you know, like, the knowledge and the affection for superhero comics coming through in that. It feels much more, like, cynical and uh, kind of pissed off. More doesn't feel, like, that angry about this and and at the same time like what he's writing as a superhero comic isn't honestly that much more like he's poking fun at the um the like the very silly childish power fantasy of yes of pulpy superhero comics especially you know of like adults living in this fantasy world that's something he makes like literal here is that once the superheroes in this comic reign supreme uh, everybody gathers in public and starts burning all of their genre fiction because they don't need it anymore. <laughs> like they don't need a a fantasy <laughs> escape because the world has now fu- that felt pointed. Yeah, the world yeah. has now fulfilled the need for that kind of escape uh, because their lives are just this heightened fantasy. Um, so I I don't know. I read this as something of a like an exploration of superheroes 
and, and kind of him saying like that thesis, right? Like playing out that thesis of, well, you couldn't really have superheroes because you can't have power that doesn't change people and change the world, right? You can't like power alters dynamics. Um, so I think like that, that to me was, was like more of a thesis statement about, you know, how he views superhero comics, but not necessarily like a wholesale critique of it. Does that, does that ring true? I don't know. How did both of you read that? I think, I think that's fair. I, What's interesting about about once again Miracle Man in comparison to to Watchmen is like in Watchmen all the quote unquote superheroes are either like sad or like nasty and mean or like terrifying in the case of Doctor Manhattan. Mm-hmm. In Miracle Man, like he's scary, but there's also like grandeur to him and something like fascinating and kind of beautiful to him and like in a way that is that becomes dangerous because once he becomes admired, he becomes like imperialistic and and well, terrifying, does, does like... he does he that that's kind of the thing too i think more avoids turning this into he becomes a dictator right like he shares his power he be, he creates utopia on earth and he enforces it but like well he shares his powers with a like minority of other people that become also gods that he selects like there's still a majority of powerless people that's that are like the below class of his system yeah but like, he also if, i mean they talk about how like that's not the plan. The plan is to fully, you know, like change everybody. They say something like within two generations, everybody will have powers, something like that. Like, but he's still like, he's making that choice for the rest of the, for the rest of the world. Like he's not leaving any free will to anyone. I feel like that's still, yeah, I, I think, pretty I think he makes it, and imperialistic. I, I think he makes just look it at, like, just looking like, at his emperor Garber at the end. Like he just looks like Homelander in the boys. Like, yeah, no, I, I literally, I agree. That like I, I think there's some of that, but at the same time, I think more doesn't give you like the easy out of it. Also, just being no, I like, think it's like I, I I think it's still more complicated than that, and like that's where the like grandeur and admiration towards him comes into play. Like you're st- you're conflicted about seeing him as like a supervillain because it's way more complicated complicated than that. Because I and think we've like, seen him be human in the comic. He genuinely is making life better for everybody. Like everybody you know like the diseases are wiped out and science has rapidly yeah. advanced and the you know like they wipe they get rid of jails right there's no more jails <laughs> anymore uh but then you know it's i i think i think it might be the trap he's laying is for is to try create an actual like recognizable power fantasy here that you would read and go like oh, look at that utopia right like you just need yeah. I mean, leading into kind of that, like, fascist ideal of, like, just needing a strong hand at the lever. Um, so, but the thing is, he makes it very appealing here by making Miracle Man someone who does the right things, you know? Like, and does things the but right so way. And he efficient- makes it that way by making Miracle Man someone who does the right thing impossibly so. Like, because Miracle Man is a fictional character, like, he was created, he was written by, in universe by, like, the scientists who made him, mm-hmm. and he was created to be simplistic and all good and have simple feelings of love about everything. Like, mm-hmm. that's yeah. how it's described by by the, by the Mikey uh, when he turns back into human, when he talks about that with his wife. Like, when he feels love towards her, it's like complicated because they live together and like it's it's human love but when miracle man loves her it's like 
pure and perfect, impossibly so, well, because he's like, not real, he's not a human being. It's also like loving so like, an animal, right? Like, your love for your pet yeah, can be pure, because kind of. there's, there's no complicated feelings towards your pet. It's your pet, and you just care for it unequivocally, which is something he brings up over and over again, like... That to the powerful, to these, like, superpowers, humans are animals to be taken care of, right? Like, yeah. so I, I think, but like... By the end, his utopia is, like, yeah. turning everyone into that, into, like, uh, inhuman. Like, they're all happy, I guess, but they're also not human. Like, you can't imagine yourself in that utopia because to become part of it, you'd have to let go of your, of your humanity. In your free will. Is, which I feel like is the he, he makes that message argue. at the end. He does make the argument at some point, him and I can't remember the guy's name, um, like the firebird guy. The Yeah. He, he says something like, you know, free will. Like, if you know, these are, humans are basically like children to us. And if you see a child reaching for the bleach, like you're going to take it away, you know, so much for their free will. And, you know, someone else is like, well, that's kind of a, simplistic version of like talking about human free will but you know they, that's when that's what happens when they eradicate all nuclear weapons from earth right so the thing yeah. is i think alan moore does a good job i think he is intentionally like trapping us into maybe finding it alluring at least me like i found it alluring and i was like oh you know what this seems pretty good like maybe i would like to live in this world but i think that is the like trick he's playing um and i think yeah even in the end like in the that final issue or those final issues there's a slide because it, it starts with them just like ending every nuclear weapon and you're like yeah yeah if i had that power i'd, I'd do that too i'd stop us from having nuclear weapons and then it slides further and further um, and like from that point where you can feel the kind of euphoria of it, of like, mm -hmm. it feels like a superhero victory and then it goes further and further and further. And like the superhero becomes a God that controls everything. But it doesn't become injustice, right? That's the like, is really well done. It's not because that's how injustice starts. Superman and Wonder Woman are like, yeah, we're going to save the world, right? We're going to like lead with a strong hand. We'll get rid of nuclear weapons and we'll. You know, whatever. And then they slowly slide into just full-blown fascism. Here, that doesn't exactly happen. But I think that's the, like, that's the point is that that fantasy, you know, is really appealing. But the reality of it is, you know, obviously impossible. Um, the, when you read it, the, when you read it, the difference is you don't have the Batman counterpart, counterpart to it to say, no, you're right, yeah. all fascists yeah, yeah, yeah. and crazy. Like here, you don't get that point of view. You just get the point of view of American men saving the world, yeah. which is, I think is really well done for, for I the I do think there's, there's a mastery to what Moore is doing yeah. that you're both kind of going back and forth on. But I, I think both things are true, frankly, which is there's a progressive deification of Miracle Man. You yeah. know, by the end of this, like, more wants us to understand, you know, this isn't a superhero. This is a god to these people, right? Because they've experienced nothing like this and because of the power set. So it's it's a family of deities, essentially, right? And he's playing with the mythology of all that. And then the final arc, which is, I think, the best by far and the most interesting, yeah. um, with John Totalbaum just absolutely crushing it alongside more. Uh, it's looking at, like, all right, fine, let's lay out a utopia. Let's do it. Let's do utopia fiction but then the brilliance, uh, or at least the consistency, of more is to say, okay, this whole series we've been saying, but let's ground it, and let's be real about it. It's not a superhero utopia. It's not the fantasy of what utopia would mean in 60s Marvel Man and actually achieving it. It's trying really hard with some great ideas. <laughs> like, more, more positions a world that there's so much of it that I'm like, yeah, that'd be awesome. 
that'd be great that actually feels like utopian um but then there's there's an undercurrent mm-hmm. you know there's an undercurrent of problem there's liz hearing miracle man say i can make you a god too his wife and her saying you don't get it you don't get what it is to be human right there are counter counter arguments that are understandable and believable as well um so i think in building this utopia yeah i mean to your point zach like it is super alluring and i think it's meant to be i mean i think um, the same way that not he's he's commenting on these old comics being alluring right like that that you know that superheroes in general are alluring because of their like power and that they'll all come to save us i think he's just driving that home you know even and I farther think where it's what he does that's really interesting is how he literally literally literalizes it mm-hmm. gods um with like the metaphor of like superheroes are right between the like depicting human experience in exaggerated fiction i guess and then the power fantasy side and like the moment michael dies like kills himself to just let go and let my miracle man take over is the moment where the superhero loses his human side and just becomes the power fantasy and that's when he becomes a god because that's like once the character made fiction is believed in as a human that that's what a god is like it's fiction that you start believing it Mm -hmm. uh, and like that influences how you see the world um i feel like that's that's really interesting the way he he yeah that's really interesting makes that reality in the in the universe of the comic well and if you look at the human side of miracle man right mikey moran and you look at what he experiences throughout this arc it's pretty awful. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, basically, he he loses two fingers. He has his wife give birth to another man's child in a lot of ways. He loses that child, you know, to just the fact that Winter is just this godlike little being. Alien. You know, he loses the, all these experiences. His wife leaves by the end. His daughter leaves him by the end. Like, his journey is pretty terrible. <laughs> The human side of things is pretty bad. And I do think there's a, there's an argument to be made there that it's like, yeah, it's because these experiences are generally incompatible. Well, they're, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's alienating from, like, power alienates you for sure, right? Like, especially if you are trying to not wield it, right? Like, I think about this all the time about the hell of winning the lottery, <laughs> right? Like, if you really think about how, what it would be like to be Elon Musk, you know, for example, with all of his money, right? Like, and you look at his life in the way that if you ever see him like interact with the people in his life, his family, it's very strange and very like, um, like how do you interact with somebody who knows that you could buy, solve every problem in their life monetarily, right? Like you can't have normal human interactions when you are that like much more powerful than other humans. I, I think like it just totally distances you and alienates you. And that's not to like boohoo the rich and powerful, but I think like, there is like a really insidious, you know, uh, yeah, it's something just distancing factor to that. I think that's kind of what that's an interesting comparison. What goes on here? Yeah, uh, I, I think I think you could call him Musk Man. Yeah, I mean for sure, <laughs> and just make a one to one comparison. Um, I I think though the the thing that I find really interesting about this conversation is we're all jumping to the end, <laughs> and I think a big part of it is. That is the most interesting and the least played with portion Mm -hmm. of Miracle Man's influence. Like the early influence stuff of he forgot his magic word and he's kind of a schlubby middle-aged guy. That stuff's been done a lot. It's also, it is fun, but it is a superhero comic. 
Well, it's fun, but it feels kind of quaint because of how often it's been done now. Whereas, like we said, like in 1982, and I've got a whole, I've got the list of influences here. But again, like I said, it's like four things. <laughs> you know, there's like there's the novel Super Folks in 1977, often controversial influence on Alan Moore because Grant Morrison has been needling more for decades that he ripped off Super Folks in like all his major works. Um, Moore has attributed influence to Super Duperman, this incredibly influential 1953 Mad Magazine strip. That's really Harvey funny. I've, I've read some of that. Yeah. It, it's free. If you just Google Wally Wood Super Duperman, like you can read all the pages. It's just a parody of, you know, Clark Kent being just a total dweeb. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but, the, but the thing that it does, again, in 1953, so like it's early on this, is it's like, hey, what if we... What if we took the the superhero fantasy out of it and just kind of, you know, like, yeah, he's a creep to Lois Lane and like these sorts of things, right? And just kind of makes him a dweeb. Um, And there's two others, Man of Steel, Woman of Kleenex, which is an essay I would not recommend reading, and a poem actually called Where Are You Now, Batman? The poem by Brian Patton. Um, This one I kind of like. It it, it plays with the idea of our heroes growing old, essentially. Anyway, all that stuff, though, feels a bit quaint. (laughs) It feels a bit quaint because we've seen it, you know, whether it's Peter B. Parker in Spider-Verse. Um, or or countless other numbers, frankly, of sort of shlo- like Sentry in Marvel Knights, right? Is very mm-hmm. Miracle Man. Oh yeah, I was thinking of Sentry right? early on, uh, and I, I was like, because yeah. for some reason I thought Sentry was Morrison for a minute, and I was like, oh, it's so rich of Morrison to be that like pissy about <laughs> more because look how they ripped off more right here. But no, it was Jenkins. <laughs> yeah, they do that a little bit in the filth, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. The point is, it's been done a lot. Yeah. I think what is much harder to do is this full-on see a superhero journey through apocalypse and then rebuilding in utopia, you know? Yeah. We don't get that a heck of a lot, and I think that's probably a big part of why the conversation... Like, I, it, the things it reminds me of in terms of, like, utopia building is, like, House of X and Powers of Ten has done that semi-recently with X-Men in its, in its way, not as thoroughly as Moore does here. Not even close, frankly. Um, there's not a lot of other stuff like that. I don't know. You have Morrison's New World Order with the Justice League and the JLA. You know, but it's like it's a much harder thing to pull off, I think. And I think that's why it raises, frankly, more interesting questions, because it is that thing of like, okay, so what if the superheroes win and make the world a utopia? Are you out of stories to tell? And that's actually the challenge that Neil Gaiman is faced with in the in the follow ups, um, which I don't know if either of you have read those. But like that's no, but it I, leaves like, it in that's, a, a that's really interesting how it can continue from that point on. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, I, I think. Yeah, I mean, especially no one no one pulls it off. You know, like, there are a bunch of other examples, but no one also has the freedom to just do what they want with it at the end. I think that's kind of the trick of him, you know, using these, like, known but not sacred cows. You couldn't do this with Superman, right? Like, you couldn't write a Superman comic that does this. I mean, like you said, uh, Injustice kind of does it. Right. But but Injustice, like, is still functioning. But Injustice is is the poor man's version. Oh, for sure. Um. And it's also still <laughs> trying to function in the, like, DC universe, right? It's still trying to write, like, kind of just a fun, kick-ass story, I think. Like, yeah. I, 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 mean, I read the... that and I had an okay time with it, but, like, it didn't, you know. Mostly it's doing fascist Superman, though. I mean, I, I like it more than you, Zach. I, think. I, I um, liked it. I was surprised how much I, like, I thought it was kind of fun. Bad art, but, like... You did, okay. Yeah, no, remember, yeah. I wrote for it for freaking Comic Book Herald. <laughs> I wrote no kidding. I wrote what a site. Yeah, I was right. I when you did that top 100 DC comics, I took Injustice. Uh, I wrote for in it. my memory. You backed out because you didn't like it. But I, I guess that's <laughs> no, not I how it, it ended. No. <laughs> uh, I feel like the the actually timely comparison is Squadron Supreme, which I can't remember when that is. Mm. But like the the Greenwald version mm, of it, yeah. which is like yeah, that's a, a 12 issue. Let me look that up. 12 issue miniseries that's like 
this idea because the Squadron Supreme fixes every problem uh, on on Earth. So that um, predates the Utopia arc of Miracle Man because the, the weird ooh. thing about Miracle Man is it starts in '82, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. but then it takes until 1989 for all 16 oh, yeah, issues right. to come out. So by the time the Utopia arc, and you, I mean I'm sure you noticed this in the writing and the style of it, but it's like by the time Utopia comes out, more has done Watchmen. You know, yeah. it's like is a very different writer and has had so many more experiences I d- by the end. of the I want to ask because at the end, like the Olympus arc, the writing itself has taken on kind of a, a new flavor, right? The prose. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's much more purple prose. Oh, yeah. And I couldn't tell if it was self like more being slightly self-indulgent in his narration. It's all from Miracle Man's point of view, him like, you know, writing his own biography. And he writes stuff like. Um, God, I I can't even like it's it, it's incredibly purple. Um, and I couldn't tell if this was more poking fun at Miracle Man as being not a very good writer, <laughs> or if he was being like kind of self indulgent. Because I feel bad like saying like I thought it was a little dull. Uh, towards the end, like this writing, like it drove home the point that he's like self aggrandizing and self like he's writing his own scriptures. He's literally like carving it into a book of steel pages, right? Like he wants to immortalize his own legacy. Um, but at the same time, it was also like pages and pages and pages of his own narration that I found pretty dull after a while. So I wasn't sure if more was intentionally just kind of like making him, because he would switch back to other characters and then it wouldn't do this again. Um, did you get that feeling or? That's a really, that's a really clever out. Yeah. That, that's more. what I'm like. To I say, don't know. Oh, he's doing it on purpose because Miracle Man's a little too full of himself. I mean, I definitely read it as, more is flexing his literary muscles. He is trying to capture the poetic qualities of this the god that he's created, essentially. But do you think he thinks um, he's a good poet, or do you think he's making him a little like kind of a dorky? I, I poet? think he's. That's interesting. I had not considered that. I think he's trying to write good poetry, mm. and mm. I think at times I have a lot of time for that ambition. Um, but through a big chunk of the arc, I was kind of like, okay, Alan. Well, and you would like, sometimes <laughs> you would really settle along. down to like, I would be like, all right, no, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna read it all. I'm gonna read everything he's saying about his observations yeah. of earth. And then I read it and I'm like, oh boy, oh vey, like, this is, <laughs> this is nothing. Like, it just, he's just describing cars moving up and down the street. And he was just like, <laughs> you know, like the rivers of traffic needled by, uh, you know the the hurried lives of ants move it whatever like all this stuff um my favorite my favorite morism throughout this is hyphenated descriptions of colors absolutely loves mm-hmm. hyphenating two things to describe a color that <laughs> most people would not would not use it's my favorite he does it over and over again and it gets me every time i mean i know <laughs> yeah he, that rules he is capable of doing some self-indulgent writing because he just thinks it's fun and saying like because that that's what league of extraordinary gentlemen volume three is that is a book that is full of him saying like hey what if i wrote six pages of prose that is in the style of like a late 1800s victorian porn novel (laughs) right like and what if i just (laughs) what if i just did that like wouldn't that be fun for me (laughs) and you're like oh well kind of i guess it's it's kind of neat that you can do it but uh I'm, I'm not. Nobody has ever accused Alan Moore of not having enough to say <laughs> or using too few words. I, you know, well, because generally, I think like when he wants to, he can, you know, he can mo- make something move and pace something really well and not like 
overwrite something. I think sometimes he is doing that. Yeah, as let a me choice. be clear. I think he's a great writer. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Let's I, be clear. Uh, I, just as a, a small aside, I was watching some. He did that BBC Maestro class thing. That I yeah. I gotta find a copy of that and like sit and watch that because there was so many funny bits I was watching on YouTube last night and one is someone asked him what his three biggest like creative inspirations are and he was like one the drive to be the drive to make sure that no other human on earth writes anything as good as I do <laughs> and then two tea three chocolate biscuits <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's a very funny individual. Oh, he's so which funny. He's so probably charming. almost yeah. never get in Miracle Man. Yeah. You know, I don't think it's uh, in his there's a few little jokes, but... but it's. I mean, that that's actually something I want to segue into is something you know that that's surprising about his like superhero subversions or whatever his deconstructions is that he also is just writing like especially this one that later went on to become so recreated. Like early on, he is he retools the entire origin and he basically takes Miracle Man's whole golden age history and says that was a dream that was implanted in your brain by a nazi scientist right like this eugenicist who was trying to create uh like immortal bodies for himself um is he a nazi thought he was latin american he, no well, he worked for the Nazis. yeah he, he was because it doesn't preclude he's uh, yeah i mean he was recruited and he worked for the nazis and then he defected okay, okay. to the uk yeah he's a nazi yeah 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 i mean it, like at the end he has he he defected to paraguay with a bunch of nazis remember because there's like yeah. a bunch of nazis who are like oh yeah they, they see miracle man and they're like in awe of him because he is the like the aryan dream oh yes yeah. yes the the ubermensch yeah right. um so he's retooling the entire Golden Age history. I mean, he's basically saying he's retconning out of existence. It didn't happen. It's just a dream in these three people's heads that this, like, scientist it was all a inserted dream. in. Right. The, I used to read Warrior Magazine. Is that, um, is that one of your... <laughs> do you have more to sing before I keep going? <laughs> Why don't you start and sing? Okay. Uh, he, uh... <laughs> the thing is, though, with that, like kind of prodding and poking fun at like the simplistic nature of these earlier comics like big ben is another character who is you know like he's introduced like halfway through the second book and miracle man shows up to infiltrate this science base and big ben is a guy who's just like you red commie won't get in here and steal our death ray and it's so silly and it's so out of place but he's exactly a stan lee character right like this is how stan lee especially in the early 60s wrote all of his characters to talk about like the red menace and you know this like red baiting communist stuff yeah um at the same time like while it seems like he's poking fun of and critiquing that he himself is just writing like almost an equally silly comic book it's just it's written in a more mature way and it's written with you know it's much better written and it's more written it's more interesting and more complicated but you know it's still like a scientist inserted dreams into cloned bodies and then put one body in the infraspace and then put an implant in their brain so they could switch bodies it's don't, still a very don't leave out the, silly superhero conceit. don't leave out the alien invasion right oh yeah and they the learned most, all this because which like, is the most alien. 60s sci-fi comic stuff right yeah. so at the same time like he is still just writing like a silly superhero comic right like he's just doing a little more with it haha <laughs> but it is still like it, it's not not a fun pulpy superhero comic there's still a lot of fun to be had but i don't here, think right? he's like, saying like fun pulpy superhero comics are bad like he he's talking like what he's critiquing is the power fantasy but like he still enjoys those comics like he i don't think saying that he's still writing a a pulpy superhero comics is like 
critique. No, no, I'm not. I'm not critiquing it for that. Like that's not what I'm saying. Like I had fun. I'm glad he does that. Right. Like I'm glad he does not. I mean, otherwise it would just be kind of a dour, serious, academic affair, right? Like I'm glad he's doing that. It's just like I kind of. I guess it just threw me for a little bit because you know when you replace like he definitely is poking fun of it initially, right? He has like Moran's wife is just laughing at the origin, like. Big Ben is clearly, like, a joke character. He's also kind of sad, but, like, he's jokey. In there's, the a little, there's a little MCU poking fun at every superhero's name energy in those first few issues mm-hmm. of, like, oh, they, the, these adventures, they're too silly, essentially. He is called Young um, Nasty Man. <laughs> like, it is yeah, pretty funny. I, think it's, I don't know. I guess I'm never bothered by it. Maybe it's because... But you know, they feel they feel old and, and a bit silly to me as well. Yeah, <laughs> but pushy. also like it's these, still these rooted in the reality of like the comic universe because like yeah. that initial conversation between his him and his wife, like she's kind of making fun of him, like that sounds silly, and he's like, "That's my entire oh, he life." Slams his fist at, like, down. He's like, "You're laughing at my life." Know. <laughs> like he's upset. Yeah, yeah, and like that's that's a very good panel, and like yeah. that undercuts it as like pure making fun of it to me like right. there's something more to it that ties into to the world and characterizes like and is a good way of setting up how superheroes are seen in this world like they're seen as children's stories which is what they are um and then comes this guy who actually is one uh, i think it i think it works really well as just like setting up how the world works and i think i think it's neil gaiman in an interview I was watching, had a quote. I could be misattributing this, but it's something to the effect of, like, all Alan Moore ever did was take superheroes seriously. Yeah. And sure. that was so yeah. inspiring. Yeah, yeah, I saw and that, And it's, it's exactly it, right? It's not, it's not like, cynically, oh, superheroes, you know, that Garth Ennis energy. It's not the boys. That, no, that yeah, I think yeah. is there in the boys, where it's like, no, superheroes are awful. Um, and, frankly, a lot of Alan Moore quotes from the last decade, <laughs> which have seemingly turned more in this direction, I actually don't think the—I think that is—that version of Moore, I think, is so tainted and beat down by the business side of these entertainment enterprises. I mean, even if you just look at it—you know, just look at his experiences on Miracle Man. It's something that gets overlooked because of all the DC and Watchmen, you know, legal battles. But it's like, while he's on Miracle Man, okay, in 1985, Warrior goes out of business. They get bought by Eclipse. They move to America. Then they have to rename the character— because they're worried about Marvel legal battles. You know, the series takes until 1989 to finish. Then he gets to hand it over, essentially, to his chosen successor, Neil Gaiman. Watches through the 90s as that eclipse collapses. Gaiman and Buckingham don't get to finish their run. Then it gets bought by Todd McFarlane, okay? Then Gaiman and McFarlane have legal battles about who actually owns Miracle Man and his own credits. You know what I mean? Like, just all this nonsense. Mm-hmm. That, that's in his periphery as well while all the Watchmen stuff is going on because he would have had some co-creative, you know, ownership of, of Miracle Man as a pro. And basically now it's like, I wrote this great thing over the course of seven years that now no one can ever read because yeah. of all these legal battles. You know, Miracle Man was not published again until Marvel started clearing, you know, bought it and started clearing some of these hurdles to get these things republished in like what, like 2015? Yeah, recently. You know, yeah. like yeah. that's an insanely long time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, so it, it makes you bitter, I, sus- I suspect. Uh, I suspect. Of course, yeah. Um, yeah. Which is I just wanted to say, like, I think starting from that, starting from the having a fun superhero story, pulp story at the beginning, and like including the like the the brilliant blue and gold superhero versus the like 
evil dark version of himself that just likes to kill people really helps the ending because like having that makes us feel more on his side when he becomes the the like imperialistic god mm -hmm. yeah. and and becomes the more mythologized version of himself if you don't have the like more fun part at the beginning i feel like that doesn't work as well you're less on his side you're more inclined to distance yourself from him but having had that like hell yeah miracle man you can do it mm -hmm. at the beginning I think that really helps sell the end. And to have him have good intentions. And we've seen that throughout, right? Yeah. Like, he's not a guy with, you know, uh, the secret intentions to actually, like, take over and gain power, yeah. right? Like, he genuinely comes across as very selfless anyway. So, um, the other... Well, in Miracle Woman, the introduction of Miracle Woman, I think, even more so... Yeah. ...comes yeah. across as, like, well, this is the kindest goddess, you know, like, aspect of all time. Um, so that definitely helps build out. Like, it's not just one guy overtaking everything per se you know he does have he has miracle woman he has these aliens <laughs> who have these ridiculous power sets you know there mm -hmm. are you know you mentioned there's no batman but there are actually like other players involved in creating the utopia um yeah charlotte the thing i you alluded to there which we've you know totally avoided until now which i want to ask you both about is um is kid miracle man uh being the big bad right johnny bates being the big bad of this whole arc being the big bad of the first issue or the first series where the subversion there is like, what if Kid Miracle Man grew up to be evil, right? And um, and then by the end of it, coming back, what did you all think of that choice and and kind of, you know, the 15th issue of this run, which is the Bates absolutely tortures and destroys like all of London, mm -hmm. yeah. is maybe the most famous of the entire run. It's either that or the live birth <laughs> that is that is shown in graphic detail. Um, so cool. <laughs> which, by the way, when my when my wife gave birth to our first, you know, I was like, oh, I've seen that before. Like it was in Miracle. <laughs> <laughs> I just got. I mean, like, definitely crossed my mind. Just to give Alan more credit, I just I appreciate that. You know, like I, I I don't know if I could say like, oh yeah, that's there for like a really good reason. But does it have to be? It's just childbirth, right? Like it's not a particularly like. Uh, I I like how. Uh, you know, like he's just an adult in the room. Sometimes it feels like he's the only adult in a room full of children, right? Like when Alan Moore, yeah, we're like Watchmen. It's just yeah. like yeah, like Doctor Manhattan's penis is out, and it's not a big deal, and you just forget about it immediately because it's just nudity, right? Like he, you know, and then he has this the childbirth here. Sometimes it does just feel like he's just like yeah, these are just normal things. Everyone needs to just grow up, and you know, like yeah, it doesn't yeah. feel like it's I think he does that with birth. He does it with um with queer relationships sure. a lot of times. Yeah. You know, even somewhat quietly. Yep. Uh, I think that the part, the way he gets that wrong, probably the most often, is sexual assault, which we also see mm -hmm. quite a bit here in Miracle Man. Yeah. Um, um, I think that yeah. one, he's like, this is just a thing, and it's maturation. And I, I think that one has been, I think it's poorly used by Moore a lot, and it's also been badly misinterpreted, you know, influentially. Um, yeah. But that's a whole another topic. Yeah, yeah, because I mean that that's how Kid Miracle Man finally breaks is that someone sexually assaults him, like another teen boy is raping him. And that finally, yeah. like, is what gets him to snap uh, and, like, let the, you know, the evil version of himself out. Um, that, that issue worked for me. I don't know. It feels a little, like, I guess I hadn't thought about it <laughs> too much. Weirdly, like, that didn't leave that big of an imprint on me compared to the rest of it. Even though, I guess it's a lot of shocking imagery that it likes to, like, wallow in. And it felt, like, almost a little, um, like, a little immature compared to the rest where it is just, like... Here, how many, like, really nasty, you know, piles of heads and skewered bodies can we just, like, horrible, shocking images? And I don't know. Uh, 
I guess I don't know what he's necessarily going for with that, except like that it would. Well, I think he's selling the nightmare. That it would he's like selling the nightmare of like irrevocably hey, change have... the world. You know, like that that you can't well, you just have move to sell on that. from this. Yeah, yeah. I guess yeah, like th- right. that idea that like the world couldn't see this and then say, okay, well, you know, next week it will just be another weekend, right? Like on Earth, same as like when yeah. Galactus visits, right? Galactus visits and then a week later everything's fine. Like you can't have that same thing here. Even I mean, even in. Uh, Marvel in the or in uh, the Ultimate Marvels we just read, like Magneto floods New York and it's just like what a hundred thousand people are killed in the flooding of New York and then like next month's issues it's just like New York's back to normal and everyone's like yeah wow that flood was crazy like so many people died oh well like and the world right. does not fundamentally yeah. alter the way it does you know in real life. I also think having that basically version of Miracle Man because he's like. He, when he, we see him in the past, he's dressed like him, just with different colors. Like, he is a version of Miracle Man visually. Having that version be that violent so easily helps make Miracle Man a threat, even when we don't see him be threatening to other people. Mm-hmm. But, like, mm-hmm. we know he could be. We know he has the exact same power and capability. And he could just as easily, like, with a move of, the, with a move of his hand, tear off someone's head. Um, like... But without having to have him be threatening, I think that's a good, maybe not balance, but like a good way of making us feel that without having to show it with that character. And I, I even think like it's well, d- like with the boys, there's gore every issue. And like those final scenes of London would be basically every issue of the boys. In American Man, like you see Kid American Man be very violent and kill people brutally a few times. But then when you see London be destroyed, like, it's brutal in the context of the comic. Like, we haven't seen that level of brutality and go and violence throughout the comic. So I think it really, it works well. It is, it is impactful it, in a way that, like, it isn't in The Boys because it's everywhere in The Boys. Yeah. 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 Right. yeah I, I agree. I, mean, I think Miracle Man number 15 is, that is the moment that basically every post 9-11 you know, event comic is trying to yeah. capture, essentially. Sure, yeah. Right? And I think yeah, they referenced yeah. a bunch of them. Um, but it's like, we want to get that level of shocking gore. And I think a lot of the lessons are m- totally misinterpreted, <laughs> right? Because to your yeah. point, Charlotte, it's like, yeah, this is built over the course of seven years, you know? <laughs> that folks have been waiting for this turn into this explosion, essentially. Um, and a lot of it is just like, oh, gore, violence, you know? Let's capture that. And it's not really the point you know the, the point is like we need to have this be horrible enough and 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 again end with miracle man killing a little boy you know yeah technically right like we know we know the johnny bates story but it's like it's a pretty tragic oh well, i mean he literally he um, says at some point uh that when they rewrote the history of this battle you know he threw an empty car at kid miracle man is it kid miracle man or young miracle man kid miracle man Kid Miracle, uh, Kid Miracle Man is the bad one. Yeah. Young Miracle Man is is missing from all this. Yeah, right. When he throws a car, but he's like, "But I know better." It was full, like he just chucked a car full of humans uh, at Kid Miracle Man. You know, killed them all. Right, yeah. like in his battle, he's just you know using because he just needed a weapon in the moment. So yeah, clearly he's also incredibly dangerous. Um, the, the other thing I wanted to talk about, uh, I, th- I think we're kind of wrapping up here, um, is the uh, the the one through line that I see through all the characters, especially in the first two books, I think, that then leads into the conclusion of book three, 
is the the idea of like a power fantasy or living in these like two worlds at once in like the dissonance of living and trying to live half in fantasy right so i think that's really clear with miracle man himself right the idea of like the superhero who's living in this like 50s fantasy because it was inserted into his brain in this dream way but i think that's a through line through all the characters so you have his wife who like is living in this fantasy that she will like like she's thrilled by miracle man initially and she's like much less hesitant about it for a long time until the reality of it (laughs) sets in and like um you know like drives their marriage and her relationship with her child apart um you have it with gargunza is that his name the the mad scientist who like yeah i mean he dr emil gargunza right like he is you know clearly he's trying to live in this fantasy world where he can be a ubermensch himself right and like create and then become this person but i think like the really the one that was most interesting to me is evelyn cream the um the hitman black ops guy that the british government sends after miracle man for a while and then who then ends up allying with him i think he's one of the more complicated figures uh in the more tricky (laughs) figures yeah um definitely and i i came around eventually landing on really liking mr cream i think he's a very uncomfortable character he's a he's a black man who wears uh this like exquisite suit but then at the same time and, and speaks uh i think they call it like the queen's english right speaks this like perfectly dictated english uh but then he has the bright blue sapphire teeth right he's a man like kind of torn in these two worlds of this like elite upper crust like we get a history of his pedigree right and it's a very white elite world um mixed with him trying to like retain his like um cultural identity this like blackness with the teeth this kind of like garish thing the thing is more is also like more is using i think this history of quote-unquote exotic villains who are like peacocking who have this big larger than life uh flamboyant appearance but i think for cream he's putting a man who feels torn into two worlds who sees this like elite whiteness as this fantasy as this goal that he can get to but of course he never can right because of what his just the color of his skin he cannot ever actually just be accepted in this like elite world um and then at one point he gives us this narration inside of his head and it's this like he's berating himself for like when he's betraying the government you know it's stuff like have you gone native these like like he kind of does these minstrelly terms about these like antics uh you know like what are these antics you're back in the jungle voodoo and juju and like this very racist stuff like he uses a bunch of racist slurs and he's like it's like a man who's like torn right down the middle trying to like deny you know deny himself to like insert himself into this new world that he wants he sees whiteness as his key to power i think that's why he betrays the government is because he sees miracle man as like the epitome of this like white power um i don't know what did did both of you think about this because that that evelyn green was like fascinating to me i I think think it's oh go ahead charlie go ahead I think it's interesting, but uh, I mean, by the end, that's what I wrote in the notes. I was like, I can't tell how well what Moore is doing here with that character works, or if it's just kind of racist. Um, I think I, I think it's definitely interesting, and like the dynamics of Cream with like 
what he feels about Miracle Man and the idea of power fantasy. Because, like, as a black man, like, trying to succeed in a white world of academics and, like, and the, the, the world in which he lives, like, he's the one that would, quote-unquote, deserve that power fantasy more. Like, at least deserve to feel it more. Like, he has a reason to feel that power fantasy because he is less powerful than the others around him just because of how he was born. And, like, I feel... But I also feel like that dynamic suffers from him being the... I think literally the only black character in the comic. And, like... Uh, the fire, the firebird being... guy at the end, but yeah. Oh, right. Like, yeah, but also, like, we can't even remember his name because I don't even know if well, he takes on like, in the comic. It's not Ares, but he takes on, like, a Greek god name. Oh, quickly. right, maybe. I can't yeah. remember what it is, but... He's, he's pretty late to the party. Though, yeah, yeah, he's, he's I, not that fleshed I can't remember yeah. either. Yeah, Cream, cream yeah, gets a lot, like, yeah. I think there's an interesting, like, there's something interesting there, but also feel like it's very secondary to the rest of what Alan Moore is doing in the comic, and, like, that kind of hurts it. Well, I don't know. I feel like Moore actually gives him... I think Moore gives him more focus than you would ever expect for, like, such a secondary character. Like, I think Cream becomes... I I mean, he gets several... Like, several comics are focused around his narration in a not-very-long comic, right? Like, so... I don't know. I, I was surprised yeah, at some point true. when he like shifted fully into Cream's point of view multiple times. Um, and that, I mean, that last comic with his death, uh, that, I think that was a really effective, like the his death is really, really well. The, done the and, blade yeah. of grass with the like blood drop falling and the reveal yeah. that like it, this is all in the you know last second of his life, everything that's like flashing through his head um, is. I was definitely most shocked by that. bothered by his death of yeah of any death in the comic um and i think i guess that's to more and and the team's credit in the sense that like i'm quite interested in this character um yeah. by that point in time i think they're incredibly interesting i yeah i i don't want to speak to how well or how poorly more executes i think the the biggest challenge that i see is i felt like more got to the point of cream's internal conflict in terms of being from this very elite white English background but being a black man and confronting all these stereotypes that that entails within those circles of elite white English Mm -hmm. um, I feel like he gets to that in a in a clear way of what he's actually trying to do only when cream is dead only once cream is now dead and then it's like well you just killed him off like we finally we finally seem to get this kind of understanding of of who cream could be and where you're going with this which I think Listen, I'm sure a lot of folks could point to the ways it's it's done improperly, um, and I bet there's really good critique on that. Uh, but definitely Moore's intentions are progressive. Oh, sure. I mean, Moore, Moore is... A poison yeah. chalice of itself, you know? Moore is clearly, like, but... a very, you know, he is, uh, this is... This is not a character... This is not someone who is writing a character... What he's intentionally trying to, like comment on is like the internalized racism of somebody and you don't get that yeah. unless you know you're someone who actively is trying to like combat racism right like he isn't understanding this stuff it, it well I'm just trying to understand yeah i think is probably the bigger thing yeah you yeah. know i think Moore is making a sincere effort here yeah. to understand and translate this i bet he gets things wrong sure um, but yeah. nonetheless yeah. i think my my problem with it was it, you get to that moment and you have this interesting character but only to reveal that you know their head's been on the floor yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, re- removed from their body the entire time. I felt like it was a. I could. Bad, I could see the crit- <laughs> bad decision. Yeah, I, I get. It. I mean, that that feels a little bit like 
that's slightly like more of a modern like critique it, like like having like the, the horror movie uh you know killing the black character yeah person. kind of and, and that feels like more of a critique of like cheapo like genre work right that is not like that is just kind of like doing a little bit more tokenism <laughs> i guess right and that doesn't feel what he's doing here i think i don't it, think that's what this character is no because yeah. i think if he wanted to have like you know, if he was just using him for his, like, exotic nature and just having, like, an interesting design and stuff, we wouldn't get all that stuff. We wouldn't get all that internal stuff at the end, right? Like, if he hadn't had that, I would have been like, well, Cream's just kind of a strange, slightly racist stereotype. Like, because I, I, I do think that's how the second The second he introduces initially. him and it's like, he's got sapphire blue teeth. And he's the devil, like, right? If, you, like, if you're cringing, I don't blame you. Right, yeah, you know yeah, I, mean? I, like, I agree. And, you know, and maybe, like, it was course correction him right I, the the yeah, critique maybe. i could see is that like all that stuff about like juju and voodoo and like have you gone back to the jungle man is all very like it's not africa <laughs> like that's a very like you know white dude's portrayal of like africa right yeah. yeah but then again you could also say like that would be cream's perspective of things because this is also a man who has just grown up totally in a, a white environment and also has no idea like this is his racist colonialist viewpoint right like internalized racism towards yes. you know so I mean, it's I, his dreams right it's his, his psychic landscape right i mean i think exactly. the point that Moore gets to at the very end that i think i appreciate if i'm interpreting it correctly is cream comes to the understanding that chasing all of these you know the white man's dream and all of their rules and playing those games will only result in death because yeah. they don't care about you, and these systems don't care about you, and ultimately it will. There's no. It's just they. They don't care about. Well, it's your also life. that it's not um, a it's literal death. Like that whiteness is not this. Uh, you know, it's not going to be this purifying holy force. It is like he says, the whiteness of bones. It is the white of death, right? And that like yeah. the the power that he's striving after is just one of death and destruction, right? Which is yeah true when you're talking about like you know Western power structures like this you know like white imperialist especially in the british context right of like the british government mm -hmm. and it's like colonial mm -hmm. history right it is just one of death and destruction of uh non-white countries so yeah. i think I, he's, he's i i will say i do think the character of, of mr cream helps making the general theme of like power fantasy specific like specific to to his experience mm. um in a way that the rest of the comic doesn't really like it's it's very largely about superheroes and power fantasies but rarely in very specific ways and like in yeah yeah, yeah. very real world social structures and like and dynamics and i think in the case of mr cream it does work well and helps like make that general idea feel more real I, I do think that is a success of, of the character. He, I mean, he's just, he's, I think he's also just a really close reflection of Mickey and Miracle Man himself, of a man standing, yeah. you know, with one foot in two worlds, right? Like, and, and the, like, the tension between that, right? Like, he is, he's yeah. just, he's and two I, people I in one is... body, right? It's, it's a very similar, I think he's doing a very similar oh, thing there. That's a good comp, yeah. Yeah, and I do think it's interesting that he's introduced, that when he's introduced to us, he's just kind of like a kind of racist James Bond villain yeah, stereotype. I mean, yeah, it's definitely right. James But then he's Bond also dude. a stereotype that is human. Like, he's still a human being. And he is, like, we see his thoughts. We see he he's portrayed as, like, a point of view character. Behind that, uh, that, uh, 
that cliche, and I think that's like an in- interesting reversal and and subversion. Yeah. Of, uh, of that cliche yeah and it might have been it, it might have been more realizing that he was doing that initially <laughs> right like yeah. playing with a, a racist stereotype and trying to course correct but you know who knows um yeah yeah interested interested to read me more about that i will say i found right before we started recording um like literally 20 minutes before i found on seek art the uh the president of seek art julian darius had written this like 60 part feature <laughs> on miracle man um, that I read a few parts of that I would like highly recommend because I went and read a couple like just random snippets from it uh, about different chapters and it was excellent yeah. like huge like you know five pages of writing for each little chapter here and all really like um, all really in-depth and worth checking out so that's uh, that's two nice. seek yeah. art references uh, in two episodes because <laughs> Kelly um, last time had done a bunch of seek art Some work. good stuff on there yeah yeah, it seems like a cool. Web- good seems like a cool website to go for all your comic book essays and reading orders. Yeah. So the last thing I want to mention is um, we have here uh, a little a little curio. I thought you were going to plug Comic Book Herald. Up. Sorry, <laughs> I really thought you were going to say <laughs> the last thing I want to mention here is, is my head website. over to comicbookherald.com. <laughs> uh, no, I, I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, the thing I picked up uh, this read that I did not know about. Apparently, Miracle Man was offered to Grant Morrison. Per Morrison's own account in like '84, oh. like he, they were like, "Hey, can you pitch us some Miracle Man?" And you can watch this video on YouTube if you just Google Mir- or if you just YouTube search for Morrison and Miracle Man. It's from the Talking with Gods documentary, which is a Grant Morrison documentary. Um, but his telling of it was he wrote a script or whatever, and then uh, or a pitch, and then he he wrote a letter to Alan Moore. They sorry, and he was just, like, "Hey, they, they they you got sidetracked back." They in the days. thank you, <laughs> thank you. They wrote a script and they wrote a letter to Alan Moore and and asked, you know, hey, they've asked me to take this over. Um, you know, I just want to let you know or whatever. And Moore wrote back telling them back off, essentially. <laughs> and Morrison's <laughs> telling. It's a very funny two minute telling. But Morrison w- or Moore was like, it, it really speaks to the antagonism of these publishers. Uh, all of which is to say that lost, seemingly lost script was published in 2014's All New Miracle Man Annual Number One. Um so once Marvel got the rights, the first thing they published was this Miracle Man annual. And I had not read it before, but it's got Grant Morrison's script drawn by Joe Quesada. It's a, um, a kid Miracle Man story. And there's also a Peter Milligan and Mike Allred story in there, which is um, the X-Dax team, uh, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. So some interesting creators it's really, that, that have is... touched the property since then, uh, aside from Neil Gaiman and Mark Buckingham, who are the primary creators who are – they do the Golden Age, which follows this. Which I don't have either of you read, so I guess not. Right? I think no. you, no. you haven't read yeah. that stuff but yet. Interested, like. It is interesting. If you liked Miracle Man uh, quite a bit, I do recommend checking out the Golden Age. Gaiman takes because it's a, it's a challenge, right? Alan Moore's like, okay, we've created Utopia. What's next? And Gaiman's approach is six distinct viewpoints. Basically, he kind of Astro Cities it, but you know, before Astro City, of taking like, all right, so what are the people of this world experiencing? And you get some really interesting insights. He plays a lot of like referential kind of continuity stuff with what Moore dropped you know so at the end of I think issue 17 uh Moore's like yeah there's a you know we, we're recreating the dead now and we've got 18 Andy Warhols um there's an issue that's like an Andy Warhol perspective uh it's pretty memorable um so it's the golden age but then Gaiman and Buckingham are back right now in 2023 finishing the silver age which has been on hiatus for 30 years because of all the rights issues with Miracle Man so it's in a pretty interesting place i'm i guess i'm curious for both of you like how interested are you in reading the continuation of 
Miracle Man by Game in Buckingham, and also like you know Marvel bringing him into the Marvel Universe, which seems to be teased per their timeless annuals. None. I'll go first. None. <laughs> <laughs> Only because it's Neil Gaiman. Like I'm kind of curious, but like in a vacuum, if you were just like, oh, Miracle Man, Buckingham's w- really good on this. I, I mean, I love Mark Buckingham, so like that that team sounds great to me so that that is the only yeah. portion that's interesting if so it... that's kind of three separate questions first question is like <laughs> how interested am i in a in a follow-up to almo's miracle man not really yes, like right. the yeah. ending stands on its yeah. own very well i don't need a sequel but then like specifically gay men in buckingham okay that does sound interesting mm-hmm. and like them being allowed to continue it and finish it now is like that's cool let them finish what they started but then miracle men in the marvel universe like how you already got Sentry? Like that's you you have the thing. Do the thing. Do you think? Do you think that's stupider? I I have not heard anyone say like, "Hell yeah, Miracle Man in the Marvel Universe." Like I have not. Well, because if you've read the, I mean, (laughs) if you had read the comic, you wouldn't think that because it doesn't make any sense, right? So it's like, do you think it's stupider to have Doctor Manhattan get seriously involved with DC happenings? Or Miracle Man to get seriously involved in Marvel. Which one? Which one is worse? It's certainly comparable. Yeah, it's certainly comparable. Um, I think this because this I is think really it's like... worse yeah. to have. Oh, that's really hard. I mean, it feels like Miracle Man right now because it feels like there's still a chance to back off, right? Like Doctor Manhattan is sunk money. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's already happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, everything. Is I feel like course, I'm more interested in Miracle Man in that scenario <laughs> because one of them is written by Jeff Jones and the other one is written by Neil Gaiman. <laughs> Well, so Gaiman isn't Gaiman isn't folding him into as of the yet world. crossing over the Marvel yeah. universe. Oh yeah, like, right. he's still doing self-contained Miracle Man, which I'm totally fine with. Right, this is a story that they. The only reason it stopped in the '90s was because the publisher went out of business. Yeah, and then there were all these legal troubles. So that you know, it's just, just kind of. It, it's weird to me that it. It's very funny because it's like this hasn't been published for 30 years. The continuation yeah. of the story. What happened? Oh. But it's like. It, it feels like there's very little enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah, I think I have a you guess know? for how it will happen. Like the Marvel Ma- 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 Miracle Man in the Marvel Universe. Because the timeless story in which he was teased was by Jed McKay, right? Uh-huh. uh-huh. And Jed McKay's so, taking over Avengers. Sure So is. I feel like similarly to what Bendis did with Sentry in the 2000s, like that's what we'll get with Miracle Man in Jed McKay's Avengers, maybe. It and is... you know what? I f- Jed McKay could do an interesting Miracle Man. Like, just having read his Moon Knight, there's a possibility of doing something interesting there. Jeb McKay's really good. Yeah. Really good. I really like the writer. I'm excited for their Avengers. I do not want them to touch Miracle Man. <laughs> Again, Poison Chalice, right? Yeah. I like that phrase. But yeah, I, I, I just feel like it's going to it's gonna look bad for the person who does it. You know, I actually asked uh, Karen Gillan directly. I was like, if Marvel asked you, would you write Miracle Man? Because Gillan would write a great Miracle Man. Like, who, well. who is better... There are not many writers situated to write a better <laughs> Miracle Man, but they very quickly said no <laughs> yeah. to that question. And I, I they went on to explain why, um, and I can't remember the answer, but I know it was good. Um, but they were like, no, I wouldn't do that. So, And I, th- I feel like part of the answer was essentially kind of what you just said, Charlotte, which was like, I feel like the story's been told. Um, yeah. yeah. I feel like it was done and done well. So I don't know. Whoever, whoever takes it on, uh, I've seen Donnie Cates teased, which is... Nope. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. There's no great answer. Because I think the good, like Al Ewing, you're like, okay, probably has some ideas, but it's like, do I want that for for Al, who I love, <laughs> to now be, to now have taken a sip from this poison chalice? I don't know that I do. Yeah. You know? No, yeah, that's, that's, that's mm. fair. Yeah, I, 
maybe at some point I'll check out the Neil Gaiman one once it like gets rolling. Are they just picking it up? They're picking it up exactly where they left off. Is that the? Yeah. The so plan? they That's they cool. wrote six mm-hmm. issues of the Golden Age, which are I actually just went to my comic shop yesterday and bought the trade because I didn't have it in print. So I I've got that. I just read it last night. Um, there's some good stuff in there. And then the Silver Age, I think the first two issues came out. But so now Marvel's republishing. So they republished the first two issues, and they just published the third, which is the new one. And it's going to be six issues of the Silver Age, and then the Dark Age is the end of the trilogy. That's the second the Dark Age comic that Buckingham has worked on. Because that's, that's also a big arc in um, Fables. It's also, um, I think it's also an Astro City run, uh, the Dark Age. Isn't it also popular, just a Marvel? Didn't Marvel just do a... That was Dark Ages. Oh, thing, Dark like, Ages. Taylor, oh, the Tom Taylor book. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Wasn't that just Popular that there was a power title. outage? <laughs> Isn't that the... Yeah, that thing. that's pretty cool. <laughs> I think that I refer to the Dark Ages in this house as about two and a half to three. That's the Dark Age oh where God. the kid just becomes a monster. <laughs> I just, know? I opened up the... Try to, try to blank that out. I looked up Dark Ages, Marvel, and uh, TV tropes is the first thing that popped up. And I just like, uh, right at the beginning, not to be confused with Marvel's Dark Agnes series. <laughs> that's pretty funny um okay i think that's that's probably gonna gonna do it for us thank you uh dave is that i'm sorry am i getting that right dave right um for coming on the podcast Uh, i prefer history of marvel boy and young nasty man we had some questions (laughs) secret to be told Send us out, or yeah. how are we doing this? <laughs> yeah, that's the outro. I mean, our yeah. listenership would go up if I promised that you would sing an entire song uh, at the end. But we should do MMY the musical at some point. I'll ri- I'll write it at some point, Charlotte. Great, maybe Zach Perfect. can sit that one out. Mm-hmm. Although Zach claims he loves musicals now, which is a hard turn for me. I don't believe it. Ta- I've yeah. always well, okay. Are we talking like theater musicals or movie musicals? Uh, the good kind. So theater. Oh, well, yes. Thank you. Boring. Thank bad. you, Dave. Wrong. I hate those. But I love a movie musical. <laughs> those are those are some of my favorite kinds. Yeah, because you had no taste. Yeah. Well, um, the cinema Zach yeah, rears his yeah, face. Exactly. Uh, well, thank you all for listening. Uh, come back next month for our last uh, episode with superhero subversions, where we're going to be covering Sleeper by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, and then Charlotte and I uh, we're going to be doing a bonus Patreon episode to wrap up this theme. Um, Charlotte, oh, I yeah. hope this isn't a surprise because we haven't talked about it in a while. But I'm announcing it live. Um, no, I remember. remember? <laughs> okay, good. It's been like four months since we talked about this. But we have fans. So. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. It's a, just dropping this on you. Um, we're going to do a bonus episode where we uh, kind of do a, like our little award show for this. So, you know, talk about what we liked, Uh-oh. what our favorites were, what a, you know, favorite character, favorite issues, whatever. We haven't come up with the categories yet, but just kind of an overview of the theme and uh, kind of a big discussion overall so we're going to put that out on the patreon for the five dollar and up so members without spoiling yeah just for my own curiosity um i guess like like how much did you like or not like miracle i don't i don't have a great sense here of like are you like this is amazing this is one of my favorites this is fine like where you, where oh you great i mean uh, yeah i guess we didn't really say that but like i was surprised reading this that i was like what is it just that it's hard to get like why isn't this talked about like this is maybe minor alan moore but like that you know, minor Alan Moore is still incredible comics, right? I would put this like along. What would you put in the major Alan Moore then? I mean, like I, major I would be like major, Watchmen I mean, V for Vendetta from Hell. I think that's this is maybe a, just a tear down from those. Yeah, and then like minor, I guess would be you know League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Top Ten, um, 
Promethea. Wow, minor. Stuff like that. I mean, minor, again, Harsh. like, you know, that's like, I think minor that's like the like, joke you know, of being like, Tale of like, Two Cities stuff. is like minor Dickens, right? Like, <laughs> it, it doesn't. Yeah, okay. You know. Okay. I mean, he but, has but you stuff. Liked it a lot. He's got stuff. Like, if you look up, I, I downloaded a torrent forever ago of every Alan Moore thing Boo. ever. And he had, like, I mean, he's got a bunch of random things where, you know, he did one spawn issue over here. You mean here. like the Star Wars comics? <laughs> or Doctor Who? Doctor Who, yeah. Well, sure. But even that, like, he even has, like, original stuff where it was, like, yeah, he did, like, you know, the the Ballad of Halo Jones or, uh, I don't Isn't know. Isn't that Warren Ellis? Yeah, he did a couple of years of it. Oh, no, no. I know what you're like. You know what I just read that is crazy minor more? Mm. Alan Moore and Bill Sienkiewicz did a thing called Shadow Play. That's about the history the CIA. of the CIA. I, God, I got to read that. You just read it? I just read I it got, last night. You can't get a like, hold of it physically. You just have to read like scans online, no. right? Like, you, If you find a copy of this, yeah. let me know. But uh, fascinating. Yeah, I know. I really, I really <laughs> I don't think I enjoyed it, it, but fascinating. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. Like, or like he did like Fashion Beast, which I've read, which is a comic. Fashion Beast. Yeah, a comic he wrote based on a 1988 unproduced screenplay Buy more for Sex Pistols manager Malcolm McLaren. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, and it's like okay. 10 issues or something. It's it, it's not particularly good. I mean, actually, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, like the later issues are like very minor more, I guess. But anyway, uh, excellent. Like, great. I think this is like, I probably, my, my only guess is the reason that like people don't talk about this and that it's not out there is because it's been really hard to get, you know, that you can't like yeah. just go pick up the trade uh, up until recently. And at that point, I think, like, you know, it just hasn't had the 30 years of um, being able to, like, build a reputation because it's been this kind of hidden, quiet thing. Right. Yeah. Charlotte? I feel like without the third arc, it would be, like, very good, but, like, not wouldn't have left uh, as big a mark. Mm. With the third arc, like, it's one of my favorite comics we've read for this show so far. And, like, I mean, I think... I liked reading it better than I did reading Watchmen because it was more of a surprise. Like, Watchmen, I I knew I would like it because, like, it's Watchmen. I knew what to expect and I had read it before. With Miracle Man, like, it it surprised me with how good it was. So, yeah, yeah, I really, really liked it. I'd be nice. curious to see, nice. like, how you like Supreme and um, Tom Strong. Yeah, I'm, both of those Supreme are much more, like... On, my, on top of my list. Uh, of Supreme's more, more fun. Both of those are more, like more just being like let's just have fun with it like let's let's make superhero comics fun again you know like let's stop taking it so yeah. seriously and like and, and he's trying to like course correct from the world saying like oh i read the killing he comes out of from hell well it's also yeah. the killing joke like he saw how the killing joke is affecting <laughs> comic books and how everyone read it and was like i can do that and he's like no no don't <laughs> don't do that <laughs> like do this right. instead um right so um, yeah, it would be it'd be interesting to to check out. I mean, Supreme also has this big history of like because then it was taken up. Warren Ellis did a run. Eric Larson did a run. It starts out with the Rob Liefeld. Like, what a weird whiplash between creators. Um, pretty interesting. All right, so uh, yeah, join us next month for the final superhero subversions episode on Sleeper. Um, head over to Patreon.com/slash/MyRealZero to support. And our music is by FM Skyline. Thank you, FM Skyline. Uh, thank you, Charlotte. Thank you, Dave, for joining me today. And we'll see you in the funny papers. See you in the funny papers. <laughs> that's my. That's bye the, bye. Not sure if it works as well if I say it all. Uh, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't really expect that. I guess. I feel like saying it once is enough. Maybe. I didn't expect that. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.